Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you serious? Hey, this is Hard to Kill an Hour. Thank you in advance for killing some time with us. My name is Marcus Bronzy. Joined again by the lovely, glorious, beautiful, sweet, smiled, strong... Jawlined, Billy, producer. What's going on, bro? You're right, mate. Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Nice. Good. No, we're we're. Oh, I'm great, man. We're about to jump onto a Zoom chat with Danny Wallace, who is a well writer, presenter, broadcaster, star of computer games and many. Um, but beforehand, I just want to let you know how I've been killing time recently. I have been really frustrated with my fitness over lockdown. Um, I've not been getting out and doing much other than runs. And I hate running. And this thing came up called Fit XR for the Oculus Quest. And it's exercise, but basically in a virtual environment. And I was like, all right, let's give it a go. And I've got to be honest, <laughs> a proper good time. Now, basically how it works is you set yourself up with a little account, put in your details, and then you pick your workout and you use the Oculus handles to kind of, punch and hit certain targets and you also duck bob and weave underneath targets as well and oculus kind of uses its spatial recognition to do so now this sounds like it's something that is you know cool but i gotta be honest billy boy i had really good fun once i set my profile up real quick i started with a, with a little simple workout and i was like okay getting into it and then i realized there's loads of things to kind of help you get around it because when i started it i was kind of like throwing a few punches here and there quite softly but i realized the harder you punch the more of a satisfying pop you get when you kind of hit said targets and then i started getting into the music and then i started and then i found these like hip-hop workouts and i was like Boy, this is really getting me going um and where i live at the moment i've actually got neighbors below me so if i was to stamp on the floor that would annoy them. Say I was doing like a conventional workout, like, I don't know, uh, what's that? Peanut, P90X or something like that. P90X or what's that one with Sean? Where he's like, come on, dig deep, man. Whatever. Insanity. Stuff like that. I'd be running across the floor. Like, and you'd hear, and I presume that would pee off my neighbors. Right. But with this, cause you're in one fixed position, you're, you're kind of squatting in the place, you're throwing punches. You're getting a little bit of a leg workout, but you're doing a lot of upper body and you're not, if you've got neighbors, you're not peeing them off. And I don't have the most space uh, where I set up to do this Oculus Rift. And because, because you can set yourself up, sorry, with a quest, because you can set yourself up with a quest, quest, yeah. quest and you're standing in one posi position. 
it's pretty cool. I really liked it. And I didn't feel like I was peeing off neighbors below me. Granted, obviously not as much of a leg workout as if I was jumping around and stepping over stuff. But, you know, I can go outside and, you know, do some leg exercises out there. But I really, really enjoyed it. I feel like the music was all original as well. I've not heard those tunes anywhere else. So, you know, I don't know. Do I like listening to music that I know sometimes working out? Yeah. Is it nice having original music? Yeah. And was it of decent quality? Yeah, it's bloody decent too. Plus... It sounds like an ad, isn't it? This ain't an ad, by the way. This is just I've been killing time. You get like the workout person, like the instructor, I mean, like, come on, dig, like, you know, uh, good workout, good speed, good whatever. That encourages you. I realized the harder I punched, the better score I got. So I started trying to punch harder, which made me work out harder. I was dripping in sweat after like a 15 minute workout and it lets you know how many calories you, you could have burned as well because you put in your details. So I've burned like 250 calories in 15 minutes. So I might throw a couple classes back to back because I am who I am to burn a quick 500 calories. Plus, you can play with your mates online as well. So like you have, you can add some friends and you can also play solo or play while there's other people. And there's a leaderboard in your virtual room where you can see people working out next to you, which gives you the ultimate encouragement, Billy. Insane. Loved it, man. Had loads of fun with it. Um, a virtual workout from home with real expert trainers putting together the workouts. I was smashing up the hip hop ones. Um, and yeah, man, it's a great example of how you can work out whilst you are chilling at more, well, not chilling whilst you are in lockdown. So yeah, man, that's how I've been killing time. I've made a video for it as well. I'm going to pop it up on our socials as well. So you can check that out. Anyway, one quick question. Yeah, go on. Did you fall over at all? Never fell over. Not once. Did you wear a headset? I was wearing a headset and I put in headphones, but with the quest, you didn't have headphones for, without headphones. It was pretty good anyway. Um, but I put on headphones as well to kind of immerse myself so you can hear like the, the things zooshing over you, zooming over your head. And um, yeah, it was fun, man. I just like, and it was a proper workout. I'm, I'm not lying to you. A couple of workouts in, I felt the burn and I felt it the next day as well. So a great way to get an upper body workout during lockdown. FitXR. In fact, I'll put the video up on social media of me throwing some punches and <laughs> sweating and stuff like that as well. But yeah, really, really enjoy it. Put, check the link in the description for all the information on that as well but anyway to join us on the show right well joining us on the show right now is danny wallace he is a writer a broadcaster a presenter i mean he's even written a book which you know ended up being a film that is yes man um but we're going to talk all about that and also about the man that is danny wallace starting with how lockdown is treating him let's get into that life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. First things first, I reckon, um, is I'd love you to describe where you are right now. Where I am right now. Um, yeah, it's a bit unusual. You know, um, a lot of people would be broadcasting to you right now from maybe their spare room or yeah. uh, an office somewhere. Um, I am in an office on a on a disused, um, well, what would you call it? Air base, basically, um, in the middle of nowhere in Suffolk. And it's very bleak around me. I can see hangars and I can see the vast open skies and a control tower over there. And it's nice working here because it's sort of vaguely apocalyptic. Um, I have to drive down a runway to get here. Um, and when I am here, um, sometimes, you know, if you were in like central London or something, you might hear traffic noise. Um, if you were at home, you might hear people mowing the lawn. I get every couple of days a massive um, Apache uh, gunship uh, practicing maneuvers uh, and how to land right outside my office, um, which is brilliant the first time it happens. Um, yeah. But it is very, you know, it's, it's hard to maintain a decent phone call when there is a warship next to you. It's a pretty cool excuse though, isn't it? During a meeting, if you just hear like the sound effect of a helicopter landing. Sorry guys, it's just an Apache outside the window. Just a moment, please. Yeah. Can you keep it down, please, guys? Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, it's just a yeah. just an Apache. You know what I mean? It's it's a very odd thing. And also just where I'm looking, I, I can see um uh, Rendlesham Forest out there. And nice. that is where that's where um Britain's I think most famous UFO UFO case ever happened. Um where apparently all these like soldiers american soldiers just saw a ufo land in the forest so this is a place of mystery and wonder um and anything might happen as we talk you know speaking of rendlesham forest I, actually i've read about that recently apparently there were a load of military should we say higher ups that did not believe it at the time and they went and experienced it themselves so there's like loads of accounts of people that were like never like totally disregarded any kind of ufo chat and once they came to uh, rendlesham forest they've totally changed their tune how interesting have you seen anything ufo yeah like, i think um i'll be honest i have not um it, you know but if i looked up and if i wasn't familiar with like an apache gunship and it was sort of landing next to me and it was a few years ago i probably would have thought it was a ufo as well so who knows what's happening here um you know uh, yeah there's it's it's a strange and mysterious place but i think that amazon are putting together a um a new series called rendlesham with Lawrence fishburne in it i think and it will tell the story of this place I'd love to see that, actually. Lawrence Fishburne as well. That could be quite a good film. But, um, I mean, I don't know. Do you believe in aliens, Danny? Um, I, I've seen some weird stuff in my time. I've never seen, I've never seen aliens. Right. But an old, an old family friend was absolutely convinced that he had seen a UFO um, on an old sort of stretch of road in Maine in America. And this is like a professor. He was quite a serious guy. But he was absolutely... And when you talk to him about it, his face just it, the the kind of the cheer went out of his face and yeah. his eyes went glassy as he was remembering the terror of the night um so i've never seen aliens but i may have i've experienced some strange ghostly things oh go on do tell well years ago um when was it it was about 20 years ago i was asked to um stay in a haunted house and I was supposed to be like the man, the man on the street, kind of going, this is crazy. There aren't any such things as ghosts. Come off it, lads. Mm. And, and actually what happened over the next two days were, was, was chilling 
and scary and inexplicable. And so many weird things kept happening that by the end, all the, the tech crew who I was mainly hanging out with, because I thought they were the sensible ones, they were all absolute believers. And we saw um, ghostly figures. We saw smoke where there shouldn't have been smoke. We, it was like an old abbey. And at one point at midnight, I walk into this whole abbey courtyard after two days of this madness, and everyone's crying. And I'm like, what, why is everyone crying? <laughs> and they, go, they come up to me and they just go, can't you smell it? And I go, smell what? And it was like incense or like really, really strong smell of sort of roses. And all these like psychics, they called themselves, um, started going, the monks, the monks are showing themselves to us and they're saying it's okay to be here. And so I had to breathe deeply. I didn't smell anything. But for one split second, I had a really strong hit of like rose and we weren't near any roses. So... I don't know whether that was like groupthink or maybe I was wanting to smell it because um, I'd certainly seen and experienced some strange things up till then. So I think there's, there's stuff going on. It's probably not ghosts because probably ghosts, you know, don't exist and don't have minds <laughs> uh, and aren't thinking about stuff. It's just that there's just science that we don't yet understand that in a hundred years, we're going to look like absolute dimwits yeah. uh, for not knowing it. There is a saying, though, that anything that we don't understand now or perceive as magic is just science that's kind of beyond our understanding. You can imagine if we jumped in front of a bunch of, I don't know, even a couple hundred years ago, if I pulled out a mobile phone or even just like a lighter, I'd look like I would be a wizard, wouldn't I? You would be an incredible wizard. I mean, you know, paracetamol is magic, isn't it, 300 years ago? But it's, um, you know, I would love to see you in a sort of um, time travel movie, Um, just sort of, you know, mark us through time. Oh, man. Cowboy era would be quite good. You'd make a great samurai. I would love it. Oh, I'd love to. Do, do you know what? I'd, I think all of those times look really glamorous and great when you watch them in films. And then I realize things like running water don't exist. Things yeah. like a, a good night's sleep in front of, in front of the TV with the, you know, with the central heating on doesn't exist. And then I'm like, maybe, maybe it would be good for a day or two. I'll do it for a couple of weeks. Do you know what I mean? But uh, I think, yeah, a weekend is probably, I think even then, for me, I think the novelty would wear off. It just sounds exhausting and dirty. Um, and there are no vending machines. Yeah, yeah. It's like time camping. It's like camping, yeah. but through time. You only want to do it for a couple <laughs> of days for a weekend, but never again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Danny, this show's called How to Kill an Hour. We talk about how we like to kill time. How have you been killing time? Because what's interesting about you, Danny, is that you seem to find ways of finding everyday things and turning them into quite big things. And I feel like you've had a, you, you find a way of thinking your way into some very interesting experiences. A lot of the content that you put out is from you thinking. Now, you're in lockdown, so that kind of is forcing us all to have a big think. What is going yeah. through your mind? What, how's lockdown been for you in that respect? It was, um, it was a novelty at first, and it was <laughs> kind of a welcome novelty because yeah. you sort of, um, you know, everything is always so fast-paced and everyone's always doing things and social media kind of convinces you that everything's happening all the time. Yeah. And it was really nice for a little bit for everyone to just go, Let's all just shut up now and sit down and have a little think. And just all of us at once can agree not to do anything for a bit. Yeah. And for, for me, that was just wonderful. It was just like the days were stretching out. I was noticing things more. A lot of my job is noticing stuff. Um, and, you know, I would write like a weekly column. I did it for about nearly 12 years. And each week I had to notice something and then write about it. 
and um, can get very tiring noticing stuff. So it was nice to sort of spend lockdown noticing like how the trees were changing or how the birds were getting louder and all the kind of the simple kind of pleasures. And I felt quite uninspired work-wise. Um, I wasn't really having loads of ideas or working out how to do them. And I was keeping kind of busy, but, but really I was also relishing those times where I could just go, do you know what? I've got an Xbox. I'm going to play Xbox for a bit. And yeah. that's fine because we're in lockdown and then I might have a cup of tea. So it was allowing myself those things that, that generally you, you feel quite guilty about if you're self-employed because um, you've always got to keep moving. It was nice not to. Yeah, it's good to know that someone else feels like that. Like people say to me, oh yeah, self-employed is great. Get up when you want. I'm like, yeah, but you know, if I don't do any work, like I don't, I don't make any money. Like, so yeah. I kind of, kind of need to work. So yeah, that kind of pressure being that, um, off was quite cool. And, um, yeah, nice segue into gaming, Danny. I think like, obviously we did some work together recently with, uh, yeah. Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, we ended up in quite an interesting environment, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, we turned up on the very first day. No one had told me that there would be a raven. Um, and yet the very first thing I saw was a raven. And a raven is um, like here on this airfield. Um, I'm surrounded in the morning and in the evening by crows and blackbirds who all move together as a very intimidating group, like a big pack of bullies. Mm. And I'm talking hundreds of them. But I still think I could take them on in a fight. Yeah. A raven is a very different thing. It's very heavy. It's like a dog. It's got the smarts of an 11 or 12-year-old kid. Um, and I had to suddenly wear a glove and hold it um, out like a sort of exercise or, or a torture, really. <laughs> um, and it was just on my arm for about um, 20 minutes before we even started doing anything. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, I set the raven on you. And you bonded with the raven very quickly, didn't you? It felt very relaxed around you. Yeah, I feel like I've, uh, you know, there is a saying that, uh, you know, if it's there's good, it's good luck if a bird does its business uh, on you. Um, but apparently, uh, I've made this up myself. If it does its business while it's on your arm, then it means that it's your best mate. So yeah, me and Loki, well, yeah. the raven, got on very well. Um, do you know what? What's intimidating about a raven, Danny, is like they look on screen. I think that Loki, the raven, looks intimidating, but not as intimidating as he did in real life they have really large beaks like his beak was about two and a half inches long and it looks really really sharp and really powerful and then with with birds in general they don't tend to move their heads slowly when they look at you they kind of pop, poke their heads around don't they it's how they're made yeah. and when he kind of popped to look at you i didn't help i couldn't help feeling like intimidated by him but he was a friendly bird though he was a friendly raven Really? Well, you know those, you know those blokes in pubs who, uh, you know, they they move erratically and they yeah. move in a sort of, and they're always moving stuff around. Yeah, like they don't really look at you, but they're moving stuff around, and you Shifty. know that they're going to hit someone, but you don't know who or when. Yeah, it's like that with a raven. Um, I'm, you know, it's funny. We're probably two of the only people in the world who can have this conversation, uh, comparing mm. a raven to an angry man in a pub. Yeah. but when when he goes for you, as he did, because I have this big heavy glove on. And this glove was like what a knight would wear. It was basically chainmail. Mm. But you, when he was pecking away at that, you could feel it. And yeah, um, yeah I, I, I did consider just wearing full chainmail. Yeah, it would have it would have been very safe. And also, the, I don't know if you noticed, Danny, the snacks that they were giving him. They started off by saying, "Yeah, we we'll just give him a bit of cheese, a little bit of a." They give him cat biscuits or dog treats because it's good for his uh, his feathers. But they didn't know they didn't say this to us, Danny. They were feeding him bits of chick. 
Like they would like what? pull out a little chick's leg and pop it on the no. side. And I'd be like, "What are you feeding in there?" Just just a bit of poultry. I'd be like, "That's a that's a that's a small bird's leg," and he was yes. happy in the way at that. I did not know that. <laughs> I, as far as I was concerned, it was it was Dairy Lee Dunker's baby bell. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, I saw bits of bird being fed to him. But yeah, we went out and spent the day kind of being Vikings. Um, I was throwing axes around and and you know forging swords, all um, for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is obviously a game franchise that you've been involved with for a while I, I know you've told it a million times before but the story of you kind of getting involved with assassin's creed is quite interesting danny do you mind dropping it for us again of course of course um so uh, i i would I, I was a video games journalist when i was a sort of teenager and i've always kept my hand in and always kind of kept up to date with it and i've hosted you know games awards and things like that so i would get asked to go to some of them sometimes and um when i grew up there was a kid called mikey and from sort of seven years old, we would play video games together. Sega Master System, you know, a bit of Nintendo. And, um, and he obviously kept going for years and years. So when I get invited to these things, I always phone up Mikey and say, get on the train from Loughborough, you're going to the BAFTAs or whatever. Um, and so he came down and he came down and he, we went to the BAFTAs and then he ran off chasing after some developer that he really wanted to talk to. And I was just standing on my own and a man came up and said, hello, I like your stuff. I'm from Ubisoft. We're working on a game, uh, and I think there's a character in it that uh, could have been written for you. Um, and this was a guy called Manap. And I was like, well, cool. You know, if it's written for me, uh, you know, or it feels like it is, then obviously it's very heroic. Um, it's going to be like an action star, something like that. So I go off to uh, some little room in Soho, and I have to sign a thing saying I won't tell anyone about it. And then there was some scripts, and so I read it, but I did it kind of in my own way and ad-libbed around it. And then um, they told me it was Assassin's Creed 2. And um, I was like, oh, okay, because Assassin's Creed, that's a thing. It's a proper thing. This isn't mm. like a tiny, tiny thing. And, um, and before I knew it, there was people with cameras taking pictures of me from all angles, and then suddenly this character, which was going to be – so Sean Hastings – is a historian. He's quite sarcastic. Um, he likes to make fun of you. Uh, he's British. Um, and, uh, and so I sort of did it the way I, I thought I would do it in my head. He was originally going to be quite a dandy. And I think it was even a, a concept drawing. He had a cigarette on a long, one of those long 1920s cigarette holders, things like that. Very eccentric. Um, but in the end, we just started doing it the way I'd done it. And, and so Assassin's Creed 2 and then, you know, brotherhood and and then they started to bring me in on the writing um and particularly with something like syndicate which was all set in london they didn't want loads of people walking around going go blimey governor i'm, I'm gonna be english spotted dick today you know as in the dessert quite clearly <laughs> so i uh, i was able to get involved with that and uh, put some jokes in and make sure that not everyone sounded like they were in uh, agatha christie sort of or dick van dyke or something um, and yeah, it's, it's just carried on. And every time they give me a script, I'm sure that I'll open it and it'll be the one where they kill Sean. Um, but he has survived for 11 years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the biggest franchises on the world. I'm not like trying to blow smoke up your ass, but how does it feel kind of being involved in a franchise that's so big? Because I think media has reach, but people don't realize how much reach computer games has and, and how also how personal they are because you're, you're in someone's room. Like when Sean Hastings pops up, you're popping up in someone's living room, in someone's bedroom. You're right there next to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's weird. When, when the first one came out, I didn't tell anyone I was going to be in it. Um, yeah. And I wanted to see if um, anyone would notice. And then I actually, I got a call from uh, Dara O'Brien, um, a comedian just going, 
what are you doing in my living room? <laughs> it was just like, he was just like, what? Because obviously it looks like me yeah. and he talks like me. Um, and uh, so, so, you know, he's, he's more sarcastic than me, but then they let me, they let me sort of muck about with the lines, you know, every now and again. So, so yeah, it is, it's, it's incredible to be a part of it. And it's the global reach of it that really hits you. I was in, uh, I was in Venice with my little boy and, I was walking around looking at the buildings and then I, I suddenly remembered, oh my God, if he plays, you know, Assassin's Creed 2, he will, uh, he will see all these buildings. And so I said to him, I said, look around, let me take it in because one day I'll let you play this video game and yeah. I'm in it. I was going, I'm in it. It's a bit weird, but I'm in this game. And he's like, what? And I go, yeah, well, you know, just all the buildings will reappear. And a man walked past and just went, are you in Assassin's Creed? And while that was really cool for my son uh, and me to share a moment, it did make it look like I just hang around in Venice talking loudly <laughs> about Assassin's Creed, hoping that someone will recognize me from it. But it, if I do get recognized from the game, it's usually, weirdly, it's usually with my son, but it's happened in like LA and Venice. And so you, you kind of, and Edinburgh. So you get this kind of, this real feeling of um, when they come out, people look forward to them and it's, and it's great. And we just, I've just decided to, even though it's an, an 18, I've turned the blood off and I've made it not rude. And um, I, my son is doing Viking studies at school, you know, like a project. And so yeah, I always have to say to him, this is your homework. You're going to have to come downstairs now, please, and play Assassin's Creed Valhalla, okay? Oh, Dad. Oh, yeah. I, I just wanted to go to bed, but I guess well, I'll yeah. come down. I'll, I'll play a couple of hours, maybe three. Just a couple yeah. of hours, just yeah. a couple of hours. And then yeah. I just sit there and watch him as he kind of, but it's great. And um, they are educational. That's what I tell my wife. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's fine. So it's all good. Also, like you know, they they've also modelled your face. It's quite flattering. The the with, with all due respect, the uh, version of of Sean Hastings that we've seen. That's both a compliment and an insult. Um, but but yes, it's um, they uh, where, when he first uh, walked onto the scene, um, I was a great admirer of his forearms because oh, yeah. um, you know I've got I've got writer's wrists. Yeah, so these this is this is all I do. But he he's got the kind of forearms that you could imagine someone, you know. Uh, pulling you out of the wreckage of a helicopter, you know, there's man's forearms. And so, um, so yeah, so that's good, but he does change throughout the series. It was, he's, I think he, he's, he's an unusual, he's got an unusual look now. I think he still looks quite a lot like you. he's pretty cool. Have you, I mean, have you seen him in this version of the game? Have you got yeah. up to that point? Yeah, we have. And, um, and that was just a weird moment for my son as well, because the first time you so well, I won't say, so I won't spoil anything, but it was weird when suddenly, I was next to him and also on the screen. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It's, um, it's a, it was a funny, weird moment. I think it's something to be proud of. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And what yeah. was the writing process like? I'm, I mean, I'm have, I think we all kind of have an understanding of what the writing process is like with film and TV. Is it much different for games now? Because Assassin's Creed, I feel like it has a very cinematic vibe to it as well. Yeah. Well, the stuff that I would initially write would be sort of the database entries. And so that was, that was just prose. And so I was quite used to that and just yeah. kind of making it a bit funny and like the character. Um, when it came to the scripts that they would send through, they, I mean, there was, there were hundreds of them and I never knew when it was going to end or what was going to arrive. And, um, and I was just like doing little punching up or, 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 or suggestions, really. I would always just go, here, here are some suggestions for, yeah. for what this could be. But it was amazing to see the, um, the process and, and the world that they were building. Um, my favorite bit is always the, 
you know when you're like walking through a crowd and you just hear like little conversations yeah, and yeah. you may you you may not hear them you might not take them in you might not listen to them you might not ever experience them but the fact that they're there i love and so i would always spend quite a lot of time making weird little chats that if you happen to be walking down the carriage of a train and you did want to just stop and see what this couple's fighting about or what that drunk man is saying uh, you could and there would always be kind of like a punchline to it so but i think you know that was that was that was fun but the duty of care that they take with these games is extraordinary yeah i love a little bit of ncp uh, npc chat as well yeah. um would you say then that some because you've worked across film and tv and gaming as well is it fair to say that gaming is probably bigger than movies right now with regards to the production process in some ways obviously not always massive built set pieces but outside of that would you say that in some ways that it is a bigger industry because i feel like gaming is is much bigger than we think it is even though i'm very aware it's enormous yeah i think that um well you know with a with a film i guess you've got that one driving narrative that takes you through and you're on rails because you're just kind of experiencing that but with games you're like in a film um if you like and you can kind of control to a certain extent where you go and um, how much of that world you see. So certainly, I mean, you know, I, I would say, well, the, the economics of it certainly point to these, these games being extraordinarily big and giving film a huge run for its money. Um, but I think that the immersive experience and just the scope and the depth of it um, mean that, I think that film is going to start taking its lead at some point from games. I don't just yes. mean adaptations. I just mean the kind of, you know, as technology emerges, the immersiveness of it. Yeah, I look forward to that. Anyway, enough about Assassin's Creed. Not being paid for this. But <laughs> so what else have you been playing during lockdown then? I'm a very lazy gamer. Um, so I, um, in the old days when you had to put a disc in, I would put a disc in and then it would stay there for a year until the next version came out. And so it would tend to be kind of Call of Duty um, and uh, and things, because I I love multiplayer. Um, That's really, you know, I I used to think about how amazing it would be to be able to play against people in their own homes. And then it happened, and it was the technology existing. I couldn't believe it. I remember playing Quake. Yeah, was it Quake? Yeah, Quake. And it was in the office of PC Gamer in like 1994, five. Mm. And instead of going out to the pub outside on a very sunny summer's evening, we all just waited for you know, work to be over so that we could just stay there and play Quake. And there was probably about 15 of us in a row, all on PCs. And it was incredible because you could fire a rocket from over there. And you would hear it go through the office on people's speakers and get someone at the end who'd be like swearing. Um, so, so I always love that kind of that idea that other people are playing at the same time because I love outwitting people or trying to, and I love being outwitted. So mm. for me, just like, you know, gun game um, that they do now on, uh, on, on Modern Warfare, I think. Yeah. Um, that for me is just, that's just, that's great. Little mini games where you're just up against someone else. Yeah. How about Vedansk? Have you been jumping into the war zone then? Oh, yeah. Um, totally. I, I head straight for the choppers. Um, I do as much damage with them as I can. Yeah. Uh, and, then I, and then I crack on. Yeah. So, uh, so what, you're straight for the choppers in the loading area. Is that it? You're that, you're that guy that's cutting everyone up making sushi. Not in the loading area. I go straight for the, you know, the air base or the TV place. Get, get myself a chopper and get out of trouble. 
Right. Let the idiots, let the idiots all shoot each other for a bit. I'm going off. And then go ahead and crack off. All right, cool. Yeah, because I think Verdansk is pretty... What what I found interesting about Warzone is the fact that it was such a slower pace. Like, it was really weird at the start, to be honest. It took, like, when I first started playing it, I didn't... I found it hard because I was so used to multiplayer just being like... All the time. Like, respawn, respawn. But as soon as I got into the Warzone, like, the pace of it was really interesting for me. And I feel like it is more about outwitting people. I feel people that do better in Verdansk, or when I do better, it's when I'm feeling cheeky and I pull off a little cheeky move or run around a corner, set up a little trap or something like that. That's when I feel like I can really do better. And also you can play with your mates as well. And you're actually in a little team, which is really cool too. That's true. Uh, I haven't really done that as much. I I just sort of jump in and do it at random times. But yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's the outwitting. It's the kind of taking a chopper, seeing someone else has got a chopper, they sort of park by a... Do you park a chopper? I suppose you do. The guy outside yeah. does. Um, <laughs> yeah. You park a chopper, you get out, pop a little C4 on it, get out of there, wait for them to take off. Oh. How satisfying is that, mate? I there love it. Is. I love it. And you, and also the fact that you get a little uh, clip of somebody as you kill them as well once in a while. You get a little... It turns their mic on you and go, you motherfucker! And they're gone. Yeah, yeah that's pretty exactly. cool. Exactly. I'll yeah. tell you what, though. I noticed something the other day about Rocket League, which my son has been getting into, which I, I've always liked. Um, what I like is... There is sort of short, you know, there's the shortcuts that you can just hit and then a little bit of dialogue comes up. Yeah. But what I like about Rocket League is all the dialogue is pretty positive. Yeah. So it'll be like, nice shot. Well done. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. <laughs> and I love that because unless you program your own ones in, you're just, you're, what you're propagating is a nice environment where the only yeah. thing you can say is a nice thing. Um, yeah. So you, that you don't tend to get... Um, I mean, there's probably just as many idiots playing it, but they're not allowed to unleash their idiocy. Yeah, that's true. I think everybody's heard some of the most shocking formulas of of English on Modern Warfare or, or in the Call of Duty games in the lobbies. I mean, I've heard some shocking stuff, but you know, yeah. yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah, especially when you win as well. Like when you win and it kind of opens up the lobby and I'm, I'm always like, great game, guys. <laughs> Whatever they say, I'm like, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, yes, when, my mother when, is. Thanks. <laughs> when, when Xbox Live first came out, I uh, <laughs> I used to do a thing where if a mate was playing and I was sitting next to him, I'd put the headphone on, even though he was playing. <laughs> and then in the lobby, I'd just be going, um, okay, welcome everybody. This is an Xbox moderated game. I'll be commentating today. Let's go. <laughs> and then and then as we'd go, I would just commentate. And I'd be going, <laughs> just whatever came up on the screen, I would then read out. And it's just like... Uh, Baba Ganoush manages to best Marcus Bronzy. That's five points. Um, Charlotte <laughs> Abrams has managed to kill the table leg. Excellent explosion. And then people are just like, is this real? Um, so they just thought that, um, yeah, someone had employed an Xbox commentator, which I still think would be great, but very uh, hard because there are billions of games going on at once. Do you know what you, you were on to? You know what you're doing, Dan? You were doing Twitch before it was Twitch. That's what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what you were doing, man. Um, for no money whatsoever or any, you know, any fun apart from that. <laughs> Speaking about rudeness though, Dan, um, I did read your book, uh, Fuck You Very Much. Um, and I reread it before we had a chat because... Uh, it's interesting. You you spoke about rudeness there, and um, rudeness is something that's all around us. And I feel like I have a hypersensitivity now because I've reread the book. Yeah. I do find it interesting that you managed to write, you know, eighty, ninety thousand words on the <laughs> art of rudeness and how it's kind of grown into something real big, um, a really big, interesting subject that kind of affects loads of industries. But before we talk about that, like, how did this book come about? Because I think it's a great story. Well, it should have been, um, 
it should have just been a TripAdvisor review, and it was. <laughs> and I'd never written, I'd never written a TripAdvisor review before, but I joined TripAdvisor because I tried to buy a hot dog one day, which should be very easy. You know, you go to a place that sells hot dogs, and you say, "Can I have a hot dog?" And they go, "Yeah, yes. here's your hot dog," and you give them the money, and that's done. And it, it shouldn't be memorable in any way. And I tried to buy a hot dog, and it went very wrong. And it was as if when I'd walked into this hot dog place, a hot dog specific place that I'd done something wrong just by turning up. I'd annoyed the woman whose only job it was, was to make the hot dogs for the people who want the hot dogs. So it's a very easy transaction, right? So uh, I go, can I, uh, can I please have a hot dog? And it's already, I can see her bristling. But I'm just very politely standing there. And um, I have to stand outside because she doesn't want people hanging around inside. And I sort of creep in after 20 minutes and I'm like, is the hot dog nearly? And I'm just annoy her more. And she keeps telling me there's other people ahead of me. And, and she says these weird insults, like a pushy customer, because I'm trying to see where my hot dog is. Um, and she's saying things like, you're probably the type of people who'd queue for 20 minutes for fish and chips. And uh, I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded very insulting. And so I waited and I waited and I waited. And a hot dog should take, what, five minutes? I waited and I had to pay up front. That was a thing. I couldn't leave. Um, I, I waited an hour and a minute and there was still no hot dog. And so that's when I thought, I'm going in. And so I went back in, and she was not happy. And to cut a long story uh, very short, um, she ended up throwing my money back at me. And I'm scrabbling about on the floor, picking it up, so emasculated. Um, and I ended up being ejected from the diner and uh, essentially told not to come back. And I'm outside, and I'm thinking, what the hell just happened? Like, did I do something there? Did did she? I'm pretty sure it was her, but maybe she's pretty sure it was me. And I did something really weird. Like a day or two later, I was driving past the same hot dog place and it was closed and it was empty and there was no one around. And I found myself as a grown man flipping off a building, an empty building, because I had to do something with this thing. Because when someone's rude to you and you feel it's unjust, you feel that they have like stamped on you or they have just pushed you down and disrespected you. And there's nothing you can do to kind of reason with them or get it back or make it better. And so you end up doing things like flipping off a building uh, or, as I did, writing a TripAdvisor review. And as I started it, this thing that should have been 200 words sparked loads of questions in me. And it turned into, as you say, like an 85,000-word book yeah. all about rudeness, um, about what happened that day between me and that woman over that hot dog, how it could have gone better, whether I had done something wrong whether she had. And I talked to politicians and I talked to NASA people and psychologists trying to work out from every angle what happened that day and, and how it happens to everyone all the time and what we can do to make it better. Uh, so, so yeah, it was a book that shouldn't uh, have uh, been written really, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but one that was so cathartic to write because I do feel that the world is getting ruder and worse. Um, certainly the last few years, maybe there's a tipping point now where we're all realizing, but it certainly led us into a world of division with Brexit. It certainly led us into a world of division with Trump. It certainly split most good countries in the world into two. Um, it certainly weaponized rudeness. It turned people who don't like rudeness into snowflakes. It turned people who, you know, they say, oh, I'm only being honest. I just tell it like it is. Oh. And I'm like, well, don't, don't then, because you sound like a dick. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, so the, it, it was kind of that, and online and social media and reality shows where we celebrate people for mocking others. Um, you know, it's, it's all pervasive. And so I thought I want to take it on and tell yeah. it to shut up. And uh, even, even you just telling that story about the hot dog, Danny, I can still, I can, I, I can feel the anger. Still, yeah. Even though, you know, it's quite a while back now, I, I can still yeah. feel like the anger. In it. And that's the kind of dangerous thing about, about being rude is that it can sit with someone for such a long time. And yeah, you really do cover about how anger is changing the world a lot, really. And one of uh, the most interesting things is kind of how long people hold on to things for. Because I could even tell then when you were telling that story about the hot dog, even though it's relatively trivial, and I presume that other things that have made you angry or even angrier over the last few years have occurred. But yeah. you're still really, like, I can still see that you're really pissed off about that hot dog. And that's interesting about anger, that little things that happened years ago can still really keep you peeved. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, I've, I've been past that place and so much has happened since. And, you know, I feel that um, I feel that I've won the argument by writing the book and proving beyond all doubt yeah. Uh, well, I won't spoil it, but, um, you know, we do find out at the end how the British public would have uh, responded to such a thing. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I commissioned my own. I mean, you know, this is the extent I went to to try and win an argument. I commissioned my own national survey um, about public attitudes towards hot dogs and how long they should take. So the public's very much on my side. I'll just say that. <laughs> and yet, um, And yet I find myself, if I drive past that place, still sort of willing it to fail. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm, you know, a, a man, I hope of um, some generous spirit. I shouldn't really be thinking that it's done now. I've written the book. Um, and yet I'm still like, you're a very rude woman. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I don't know. You ever thought about gifting them a book like every, once a year, just posting a book through a letterbox? <laughs> they don't know it's about, I'm sure that with the, the amount of uh, sort of press I did about it. And um, I'm sure that, someone they know must have read it and must have gone, that sounds like a bit like my friend's place. Yeah. Um, Cause I kept it vague, but if it was about you, you would know, but no one else in the world would really know unless they knew you very well. So, yeah. um, so, so maybe they know, maybe they don't, but uh, they certainly wouldn't want to put their hands up and go, I think this sounds like me. This is what I do. <laughs> what, so is there anything that, is small that annoys you day to day still? I'm curious to know what, what annoys Danny Wallace. We know that hot dogs taking an hour, hour and a minute to be made and rudeness from uh, <laughs> the person serving it to you makes you pissed off. What peeves you off? Because I get pissed off when people call me Mark. Like, <laughs> I never gave you permission to shorten my name, especially if I feel no. like you're saying it with a K. I feel, like if you, oh, yeah. I feel like I can tell the difference. If you're saying it with a C or a K, I can tell. But um, oh, yeah, that mate, annoys I me can... when people shorten my name. Because I, I, I think that. I called you Dan when we were working together. And I was like, sorry, Dan, did I call you That's Dan without fine. asking you? And then I asked you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't mind that at all. People can call me, uh, uh, you know, any, any variation of that. Um, my name is Wallace. Uh, people always call it Wallace. So now you're panicking going, what did I say in the intro? Did I say Wallace? Um, I just want you to know it's fine, whatever happened. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't really bother me. The things that really bother me tend to be... Um, uh, thoughtlessness, um, disrespect, um, rudeness, um, arrogance—all—all um, all those things where you can't. It's all to do with empathy, I think. That's what rudeness is really about. It's about a lack of empathy, about an inability to um, see how your behaviour is affecting someone else. 
And, um, and I think that that is just something that, that I always have always felt since a child, really. Maybe it's because I'm an only child. I was thinking about that as well. So that it, there was never anyone kind of picking on me when I was a kid. There wasn't an older brother or an older sister. So my world was one of fairness and justice because, you know, your parents treat you well, hopefully. And um, so when you're suddenly exposed to loads of people who don't care about you and aren't bothered about you and what you feel, who are maybe, you know, picked on by, by others and then transfer it to you. It's a bit of a shock for you because yeah. you're like, I thought everyone was nice. Everyone's always been nice. Everyone, all the big people, they always give me sweets and stuff and they buy me the Beano. And this kid just kicks me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so I think that there is a, a, a moment um, you know, I see it you know, most days. I see people being horrible to each other. And I, I try not to ever be horrible to anyone on, say, social media. I'm very careful about that stuff because I feel like it's like standing up in a room and saying something loudly. Even if you're just re replying to someone, you should probably try and do it in the way that you would if all your friends were watching. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and that person's mum is watching. Um, so I try and treat social media that way. That's not to say I won't go in. If I feel someone's being horrible or saying something dangerous, um, then I'll try and make a joke of it or undercut it. But, I, you know, I don't swear on it and I don't, um, you know, that I can think of. There'll be people now going, I will go through 10 years of tweets now. I will search, tweet, advanced search, yeah. Danny Wallace, fuck. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. Exactly. Yeah. And you're welcome to do that and I'll give you the reaction already because you'll, you'll send it to me and you'll go, see, you said that and I'll go, thank you for your interest. <laughs> um, and I'll now carry on with my day yeah um, do you think that the kind of anonymity that the internet provides has really helped to speed up the, the increase of rudeness and that I'm just saying I'm not being yeah. funny but you know it's just my opinion do you think that I mean I don't want to just single out Twitter but Twitter is a hot spot for it isn't it Totally. There's, there's, right now, there seems to be a new thing that we're feeling our way through where the greatest crime in the world that you can uh, commit is to be wrong about something or to not have an opinion on something. Mm. And so people immediately have to give an opinion fast. And even if they know nothing about the subject, it's, it's, they just feel like, well, I've got to say something. And that's pretty dangerous because you're just saying anything. And yeah. then you defend that opinion that you've just come up with to the death. And that immediately leads to so many, so much anger and, and probably like a disrespect of experts, which we've seen uh, in the past, because my opinion is just as valid as yours. I know that you've studied epidemiology for 14 years and headed up several uh, government think tanks, um, but I've just read an article. Yeah. So it's that, it's that kind of attitude um, that, uh, that sort of <laughs> winds you up. Um, and certainly there was a study, um, there was a study about it. I think it was Tel Aviv, the University uh, of Tel Aviv in uh, Israel, obviously. They found that it wasn't just the anonymity, but it was the lack of eye contact. So you are far more likely to be hostile to someone you can't see, even if you're just sort of on a forum or, you know, or, or, or IMing or DMing or whatever, if you can't see them, you're much more likely to be harsh to them and to take whatever they've said to you in a harsh way. And it's all to do with the fact that I can't see you. So therefore I don't care as much about you. Um, and, um, and that, I think that's certainly 
absolutely true. Um, there's also the the on the flip side. There's the pearl clutching and the willingness to be offended by absolutely anything. Yeah. Because then that puts you in a position of moral superiority of the other person. You can just go, well, you, yes, you may be correct, but the way you put it has really hurt me. So yeah. therefore, I win. It's like with toddlers. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're just a bunch of toddlers. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? I've got to have ice cream. Yeah. I mean, I found that it's kind of leaking into everyday life, Danny. I don't want to feel like we're putting a world to rights now, but I had a conversation the uh, day before yesterday, we recorded this, and a very close friend of mine said, so vaccine because at this moment in time when this podcast is being recorded we have a couple of vaccine options that the government have said is 90 plus uh, percent uh successful and at this moment in time we may be getting a combination of these distributed across the uk at some point right danny that's where we're at right now if, yeah. i presume yeah cool yeah, um yeah. and they were like so are you getting a vaccine and i was like um what 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 do you want to do to my man? And they were like, "Well, I don't think I'm I don't think I want to get it." And I said, "Well, how about you, how about this? How about you wait and find out what one we're going to get? Apparently, one what, what one's been offered, and then you don't do any news research. You go online, you try and read up about it, and find out about it." I couldn't have said the worst. Thing. I felt like I just told him he was an idiot. Like I was, they were yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. God, "Why are you? Talk- why are you trying to patronize me?" I'm like, "I'm not," because I'm I'm going to do the same thing. I don't. I'm not a medical professional. I'm going to call yeah. all of my mates that know about. It. I'm going to call nurses. I'm going to read up, and then I'll make a decision. Like, I feel like people feel like there's this need to side on stuff immediately yeah. all the time, and I can't be malleable, or I can't be, you know, un- like I can't, I can't not even have made a decision yet. I have to know. It's like they got offended because I I wasn't willing to or not willing to take the the vaccines that are going to be available to us so yeah yeah they don't want to chat they don't want to chat they just want your allegiance and they want to feel like they're smart um and so by you immediately just going oh i'm going to wait and sort of see i'm going to make my mind up and that that is an affront to them because they want an instant opinion just like with social media and i think um you know the vaccine it's not a trick right (laughs) this isn't like it's not some weird trick that everyone's got together. Yeah. There's three different companies and it's like, let's all play a trick on everybody. Uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, insert a microchip, millions and millions of microchips into people without anyone telling anybody else or it leaking out. And somehow this microchip will, I don't even know what it's supposed to do. What does it do? Turn your body off? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, how will that even work? What technology are we talking about here? And yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Why would Bill Gates be? Do you see? You hear all this madness, yeah. and um, and we are forced to have to be polite about it because otherwise we offend them, and we're the ones that are all supposed to be snowflakes, and yet yeah. we have to really watch everything we say because you know otherwise we're confronting or uh, or it's arrogant. No, just it's not a trick. Make your own mind up. But vaccines traditionally um, have done wonders for the world. And this one has been developed quickly because there's a pandemic mm. and because, you know, so much money has been put into it and so many minds because this is a very dangerous time. So you have to bear all that in mind. Um, you know, there was a lady today um, who is a TV psychologist and she is tweeting what could be quite dangerous stuff out. She's hold- it's like holding a megaphone and just shouting madness. And it's not a bad thing to be wary of the vaccine you know but it's also crazy to think that this is a giant evil prank 
Yeah, I mean, the, for those that think that it's like uh, uh, for tracking us, I was like, you know, what? if anyone really wanted to track just, us, what they'd do is, get, yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's it's funny when you see people kind of on Facebook talking about conspiracy theories about people taking their data. I'm like, you're doing it on the yeah. one online yeah. program that has so much data on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's absolutely crazy. But yeah, man, I'm, I mean, well, yeah, I think a year, a year ago I, I was I was researching a book because I was going to do a book about uh, lies and right. conspiracies and how they spread and what they mean. And I had to stop because I was looking at what was going on and I was seeing these things becoming mainstream. And any time I wanted to write anything down, it was immediately out of date because there was another mad thing where, you know, oh, look, you know, oh, it's 5G now. Somehow 5G is to blame. And there are people literally trying to burn down phone masts because yeah. they think that the 5G opens up the pores in your body, which makes the coronavirus, which has been sprayed out somehow, uh, it gives it easier access to you. Now, why? 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 And how? And, you know, what, who's, what, I don't what, who's getting anything out of this? So I just thought, I can't write this book. I'm going to let someone else write it because there's going to be about 50 conspiracy theory books coming out next year, I reckon. Oh, oh they're already, they're already out. And people aren't even writing books. They're just on Twitter every day. And what's interesting about, about social media as well is that if people don't like something, I'm going to dare to say that I feel like it gets more um, backing from the algorithms because more people interact with it because the algorithms yeah. are designed to say like right okay this piece of information whatever it says is getting interaction so we're going to push it out more to more people that will react to it so yeah. if something is online and it jars people and makes them angry it's going to show it to more people that will be made angry by it as well as well as people that will get in the, into the conversation saying they like it so I feel like bad, bad news travels fast was the old saying I feel like bad news travels far when you're on yeah. the internet Fast and far, yeah. And it all goes back to like even reality shows, you know, the, the, the people who got more airtime on, you know, um, Big Brother yeah, uh, were the people who were just, they realized their own little algorithm. If, yeah. if, I am, if I am awful and make others feel bad and cause conflict, I'm going to make more money because I'm going to be on screen longer. And it's the same thing. It's just, it's just all attention. It's, it's yeah, reality shows, um, right the way to our own little reality shows where social media is where you're the star of your own little reality show. You know, everyone revolves around you. They're your followers. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're your, they're, you know, they've decided to follow you. So I'm going to be honest and say awful things. Yeah. That's the, oh, I'm just being honest. That's not the one. Right. Danny, without spoiling the book though, how, what do you think our path is out of rudeness? How can we head into a brighter place as people? How do we get away from this downward spiral? It's uh, it's taking a moment. It's, um, it's empathy, really. It's understanding that sometimes when you um, experience rudeness, it doesn't just come out of the blue. Because, again, like that thing, we're all the stars of our own film. That person who's just been rude to you has had something happen in their little film yeah. that has led to this moment. Maybe they're not always like this. Maybe you turn up at the wrong time. That's not to say you're to blame because we all need to police our own actions and we all need to um, think more and understand more and um, take that moment to remember that. Um, and crucially, we just have to stop being dicks. <laughs> Don't be a dick. And if someone's yeah. a dick to you, absorb it, 
and be nice back and see how that goes. How about that? Yeah, I mean, actually, yeah. in the book, you do allude to something quite similar, Danny, and because like, I just reread it because I it was fresh in my mind. Though it had two effects on me. I was noticing rudeness more, and you do uh-huh. you do say yeah, that once you're t- talking about this subject, you are primed to feel like there is more rudeness. I noticed that twice on the day that I started reading it, people were walking very close to me when there was a lot of space on the pavement, uh-huh. which I found was unacceptable at this time. <laughs> yeah. but I also went to get some keys cut, and I walked in, and I was taking. I've, I, I don't remember when I last got some keys cut. I was take, trying to take off each key and give it to the guy. And say, right, can I have one of these? And I was really struggling because I had cold hands. And he went, and I went, can I have one of these? And by the time I went to the second one, he goes, all right, well, let me know which ones you want because I'm only going over to the machine once. I thought, oh, whoa. I thought, how about you go over zero times? Yeah, yeah. I've spoken with the confidence of a man who thinks that, oh, there's going to be a million people getting keys cut today. I mean, how many times do people get keys cut? And he's like, well, I'm going to... This is the only customer I've had in 14 months. So yeah. like, I might as well abuse him. Yeah. I, I, I was like, key worker, yeah? Well, yeah, whatever, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of like just gathered myself a little bit. And I think, and then he said to me, I can actually do the keys without you taking them off the ring. So I just uh, gave them to him and I said, I'll have what I want. And I thought, you know what? Let me try and kill him with kindness. And I, I, and I thought, what can I say? And it was a key shop. It was a Timpsons. They also do other things like, you know, shoes and bags and repairs. Yeah. And I said... Oh, I love the smell of leather, you know. I, I like the smell because I actually genuinely do like the smell of leather, not in a kinky yeah. way, just in a normal, regular, it's nice. Sure. And then, uh, and then there was a customer that was standing two meters away from me at the back of the shop. She went, Yeah, me too. And then the guy started cutting and he went, All right, why don't you just come back in, in 15 minutes when I'm all done or whatever? And I, in my head, I was like, 15 minutes, but whatever. Let's not get into a debate about how long it takes to cut keys. Went out, yeah. got a cup of coffee, came back in. And when he gave me the keys, he's like, it'll be like, uh, whatever. And, and four pounds 50 at the end. And he went, do you know what? Just call it a flat. Let's not the four pound 50 off. And I was like, you know, what? maybe, Wow, maybe. Cause I killed him with a bit of kindness. I saved yeah. myself four and a half quid. Now I'm not saying it made me feel better, but I had some more p- pounds in my pocket. I'm just saying being kind and not rude can yeah. save you some money. So thanks for that, Danny. Appreciate that. Not at but all. I, I just, I, have been I, just hope well. he, yeah. I hope he didn't take a copy of your keys and he's right now, um, just at your door. Um, just trying to get in. Shit. Didn't, didn't think about that. <laughs> just, the way, just the way I'm looking at it. No, I'm sure he's not. The, um, the, uh, no, that's really nice. And what you did there was you took control of the, of the contents of the shop. He created a bad atmosphere. Yeah. For whatever reason. Um, you know, it is hard to get keys off these things. He must know that. But then, you know, he probably sees it every day. And you then reset the context and you took control and went, I'm going to make this about how nice this place is and yeah. someone else backed you up and it kind of shamed the guy as well into being like, Oh, these seem like normal, nice people. And yeah. I've, I've come across as a bit of a douchebag. So mm. that's, that's a brilliant way to do it. Great technique you've done there. Yeah, man. And obviously save myself some money as well. So I'm cool with that too. Danny. Yeah. <laughs> um, interesting thing though. You said you were writing a book about like, was it lies and conspiracy theories and stuff? So it's going to be yeah about lies because we're all you know our politicians and um, you know just it's just been like turning on a tap recently and it started that way and then I thought I'd broaden it out to the world of conspiracy and how that happens um, but yeah it was just, there was just too much interesting so like because I feel like with each of your books you kind of and you know whatever content you put I feel like you really dive into a hole and you really commit yourself do you. 
do you find because you have a lot of I feel like you have a lot of these ideas do you kind of test the water a bit and if it is something that isn't quite right do you knock it on the head is that how you kind of get through these ideas are there various experiences like the hot dog situation or someone telling a lie or something like that and, and you're like oh maybe I could maybe I could write a book out of this or is it just more spontane- spontaneous than that it tends to be um, there are things that have gone you know nowhere but but it, they tend to be just things that they just feel it feels sort of complete so you'll just try mm. things and you'll just um, I've sort of always had that within me I remember once when I was a kid there was a long boring summer and um, I just thought I'm today I'm going to try and write the worst joke I can and see if I can sell it and so I wrote this joke that didn't work on any level um, and it was uh, as follows it was Inspector Poirot says hmm there is something fishy about this case and then Captain Haddock uh, goes, uh, that's because I'm a fish. Now, that doesn't work on any level. Um, Inspector Poirot, um, uh, yes, fine. But why is he working with Captain Haddock, who I think is from Tintin? There's a Belgian connection, but not much else. Also, Captain Haddock is animated, and Captain Haddock has just said, that's because I'm a fish, but he's not a fish, is he? He's a man mm. who's got a fish name. So none of it works. But I thought that's, that's why it works. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it out. Uh, Hallmark Cards wrote back to me to tell me that they were very impressed with the standard of my work, um, but um, sadly there were no openings um, as yet. Um, I think it got read out on the radio. Um, and then the best thing, I got a, a letter back from my... Um, well, actually, there was a guy who used to host Countdown called Richard Whiteley, who was very angry that I'd sent him this joke. And he wrote <laughs> back to me and he said... Um, he said, uh, your joke is lousy. <laughs> Ooh. Me, yeah. And he underlined it. Uh, and he said, it took me 15 years to get where uh, I got. If you've got any good material, send it in. And I thought, well, that was unnecessary, but it's quite fun. But the best one I got back was from Ronnie Barker, one of the two Ronnies, uh, my, uh, you know, two of my comedy heroes growing up. And I knew that Ronnie Barker had retired and opened an antique shop somewhere in like, West Oxfordshire or something. And so I sent it there. And then one day, uh, and I said to him, hey, Ronnie, here's a new joke. Um, Do not steal it um, or I will find out and report you. Mm. And I I don't know, report him to who, because there there isn't a joke police or anything like that. Um, And he just wrote back and said, um, thank you very much for your material. Uh, I am retired. Um, And then he said... uh, Please rest assured, I will not use your joke, not even in private conversation. <laughs> I thought it was the best, <laughs> the best insult without sounding like an insult I'd ever had. Please rest assured, I will not use your joke, not even in private conversation. That's the politest bit of rudeness ever. Actually, to <laughs> track back to the rudeness thing again, what do you think the rudest thing you've ever done is, Danny? Oh, I'm sure I've been accused of like blank. I was remember someone had a real go at me because I'd blanked them. Um, and I was going, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I didn't mean to blank you at all. Um, but the thing is, I didn't know who they were. <laughs> so, <laughs> so of course, I mean, I blank almost every stranger. Um, but, but they, they'd really taken issue with the fact that I hadn't kind of gone, hello, but I would look insane doing that <laughs> just walking around the town and just go, ah! yeah. so um, I'm sure I'm sure you know everyone's been rude everyone 
and uh, I'm sure. I mean, I've, I've, I say it in the book. I think I've, uh, I once really lost it with uh, BT, and I'm pretty sure that that call must be used in training now for how to deal with an how to 100%. deal with an absolute madman. A hundred percent. When you let rip on a customer service agent, that um, yeah, they record it and they play it back. I've been in a few oh, customer yeah. service situations. Where I used to work in customer services, and we do record people that kick off and yeah. we play it back, and we learn from it. Sometimes have a little giggle at the same time, of uh, course. But yeah, that's it's expected. Great. I would never do it at your the standard the the first line of defence. Nah, it's no. only when, it's only when you get put up to someone who treats you quite badly and could make the problem go away. Yeah. Um, that's when, that's when, but yeah. I, l- I love bad customer service. I absolutely <laughs> can't wait. For, I can't wait for somebody to fuck up and be rude to me because you know what? I'm like, mm-hmm. <sighs> take that note down. I might even throw them a bone or two where they can be rude to me. So um, there's nothing you're going to do for me. All right, cool. Take that down. I'll just have to wait then. All right, cool. And then I'll get all that information and be like, yeah, can I speak to the manager, please? I won't even get upset. I'll just be like, look, I'm really not pleased. What can you do to help yeah. me out? And then yeah, <laughs> they know yeah. what I want. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. know what I want. And then we work it out. Do you know what I mean? Ex- ex- I know exactly what you want. And the only thing you want is your keys cut for free. Oh, that's what I want. And for my house to not be broken into. <laughs> kind of running in the back of my mind. I'm going to have to rush off after the podcast to make sure that everything's all right. Do you want the next generation of Wallaces, though, Danny, to kind of follow in your footsteps and be investigative journalists? I'll turn my thing off. I'm so sorry. It was when I got the thing up. It made a big noise. That's all right. Do I want... Do you want to be, no, I, I want them to do whatever they want to do. Cool. Um, I want them to do whatever they want to do and try stuff and um, uh, feel what's right and not feel that they have to do any one thing, whether it's you know work in an office or do whatever. I want them to, to feel like things are possible. Um, and that means trying different things a lot of the time. And that's why my job I, I love because I do – Lots and lots of different things. So it's all about the idea with me. Like you were mentioning, you, you 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 get the idea, and then you think, well, what is this? What's the best way to use it? You know, is it a? It could be something big, or it could be something tiny. It could be an idea for a little game you play on the radio, or it could be a script, or it could be a book, or it could be just something I say. You know, um, so uh, it's for me, it's all about that, and I'd like them to have a similar. Uh, approach if they want to where the area they feel they want to be in is one that they can be drawn to and then work it out from there so you know I I honestly whatever as long as they're happy yeah I think I heard you say once um, uh, I think you said you like to go where the fun is but you want you just make sure you do it well so yeah 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 that's the key go where the fun is well for me anyway go where the fun is but then do that fun well because if you do it well you'll be asked to have some more fun somewhere else. And it might be in the same area or it might be inspired by, it might be somewhere different. But, the, you know, do the work well, work hard. But if you, can, if you can work hard at something fun, then I think, I think you'll have quite a nice life. Yeah, man. I think that's definitely what we do here at How to Kill an Hour. I think, yeah, like, can we just play? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. like, so what you... You just you find new ways to kill time. I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard work. But and they're like, is it also fun? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what did you do today? Well, I went bungee jumping. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Cool. 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 <laughs> but, um, yeah. So in lockdown now, do you think we're going to be um having like what out the back end of lockdown? What do you think we're going to be having from Danny Wallace? Like, obviously, you're, you're back doing your radio show again, actually, which is good. You're yeah, doing that live, right? 
Yeah, I'm doing that back in the back in the studio now, um, which is great. Um, you know, um, I do I do a whole bunch of weird stuff. So the radio show at the moment, there's a new kids book coming out in uh, a few months. Yeah, um, which I wrote in lockdown. Um, there's another one after that. There's a grown up book that I've got to start writing soon. Um, I'm doing some sports commentary, but only you know it's the world's strongest man. I've been doing it for six years. I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and then I had to put on my sports commentary voice um, and still still make jokes, still make jokes, but just about big men lifting things. Yeah. So that's next week. And um, and yeah, and just um, whatever comes up, you know? Yeah, man. I kind of like it. You kind of got this Zen effect, Dan. Like, you kind of like to feel like you kind of, you do you do work hard, but I feel like you, like you said, you go to the funnies, you kind of enjoy the journey, but have fun yeah. with it in a way. Yeah, and I've been starting a little project as well with a friend. We just we had more time in lockdown, obviously, and so we thought, well, why don't we try and come up with something? And so we just spent every few days, we'd just write a whole bunch of stuff and send it to each other, and we're slowly getting that into uh, shape for what could be like a fun project for next year. Okay. Um, but that's just that was just me using time. You know, yeah. if there's no money in it at all yet, but one day it might be something. I hear so, that. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, thanks for jumping on the show with us on How to Kill an That's Hour, right. man. And um, yeah, if we want to find out more about you, where do you think the best place is to go? Actually, um, wait, before we go on with that, your, your, your radio producers forgot your birthday. That's rude. That That's rude, rude, isn't it? it? Very rude indeed. Um, but I forgive them. They're simple, okay, cool. they're, right. they're, they're si- they're simple souls. All right. That's fine. Fair enough. You know, they can only the do excuse, so much. The excuse he gave me was that his laptop got wet and somehow it deleted my birthday. From that, like as if a drop of water had got in, like one of the crevices of a laptop, and sort of gone into the calendar bit and just smudged my birthday out. Yeah. And he expected me to believe that. And was it, uh, yeah, and he and he sent you that excuse from said laptop. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, sorry, Dan. Yeah, where where can we find you then, mate? Well, um, uh, well, I don't know really. What do you say? I guess at Danny Wallace on Twitter. It's um, a good place. I like that. Um, a, a good way is to go to Amazon um, and um, and buy one of my books because I'm always waiting there, always waiting on the page, and I'm staring at you as yeah. you through the webcam as you buy one of the books, and then yeah. you can't see it as a purchaser, yeah. but I'm behind the webcam and I'm giving you a big thumbs up. Yeah, and when you download the audio book from Audible, he actually it is actually Danny live reading it to it you, so you're on call at any point. Am I right? Thinking? I always always do it live, otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, hey, it's really good. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks for joining us on How to Kill an Hour, Danny. And um, yeah, man, I guess I'd love to catch up with you, you know, when you've got more stuff out, which seems like all the time. So it might be sooner than we <laughs> think if you if you don't him. mind joining us. Of course, I'd love to. It's been a all pleasure. All right, cool. Uh, he's a nice guy though, isn't it, that Danny Wallace? Yeah, he's a, he's a funny dude. He's, he's good. I like him. Yeah, man. Uh, he's done, he's created so much content. Like, I didn't just want to do an interview where I reeled through everything that he's put out. But honestly, like... Once you've had a go at Fuck You Very Much, you know, he's got Join Me. He's got, uh, you know, Yes Man. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got podcasts that he's put out. He's got loads of content. So, yeah, Danny seems to be someone who's put out loads over the years. If you like an inquisitive mind, he is definitely one of those. Uh, yeah, so make sure you check out the book and all of his content. Uh, you can find us here at How to Kill an Hour on all social medias. I'm at Marcus Bronzy on all social medias as well. There's plenty of ways to kill some time out there. I have been the Marcus that is bronzy. And I've been producer Bill. Thank you for killing some time with us. Peace. Hold up. 
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.